everyone. Welcome back to the Crossover Across Time podcast for our Wednesday edition for week 24. Uh, today's date, March 29th of 2023. Uh, if you'll remember yesterday's show, we were technically earlier this morning, but we're back. We're doing a, a much earlier show on Wednesday to kind of make up for it than we're used to doing it about midday here on Wednesday. Uh, I'm, I am your host, uh, Karsten, for today. Uh, again, normally we'd be joined by uh, Wednesday, we have a co-host, Justin, and uh, basically, uh, normally we do it, you know, uh, after he's done with work, when we're both able to um, do the show. And uh, around that time tonight, I just have some personal plans that have come up. And so uh, I'm doing the show earlier. And so he's not gonna be able to be on the show tonight. However, um, we're both talking about tomorrow. He's interested in maybe appearing on the show tomorrow. We also have some plans. Uh, we're going to hang out, maybe play some basketball in person tomorrow as well. So, so that's kind of the plan uh, going forward. So Justin will not be on today and we're going to have a little bit of a shorter Wednesday type show anyways, um, but we'll get into that here. Let's go ahead and jump into our game summaries from last night's action, starting with um, a surprise win for the Washington wizards. Uh, they were at home, but they beat the Boston Celtics 130 to 111. <clears throat> Excuse me. Thanks to a nice scoring outing from Kristaps Porzingis. Uh, looking at the game tracker, uh, fairly close first half. Wizards started to pull away at the end of the, sec- uh, uh, the second quarter. And then the Wizards really controlled that second half of the game. Um, kind of surprising, you know. I mean, Washington has not been a bad team by any sense uh, or by any measure. Um, I mean, they've been maybe a bit underwhelming, but uh, Boston, one of the top teams in the NBA this season. So, um, you know, great for for Washington's sake to see that for Boston. They were led by uh, Jason Tatum, 28 points, nine rebounds, five assists. Um, Okay, percentages, 18 points for Jalen Brown and 14 points for Marcus Smart, uh, as well as 13 points off the bench for Malcolm Brogdon. And those were their only uh, double figure scores. Washington had five double-figure scorers led by Porzingis, who we mentioned, 32 points, 13 rebounds, and six assists. Denny Avdia starting in this game, 25 points, 10 rebounds, and five assists. So those two uh, leading the scoring charge. They also got 19 points from Monte Morris along with nine assists, uh, 15 points for Corey Kispert, and 12 points off the bench for Kendrick Nunn as the Wizards get a nice win again at home versus the Boston Celtics. Next, the uh, Atlanta Hawks win at home against the Cleveland Cavaliers. Nice win for them in their own Eastern Conference uh, shuffling, trying to solidify their uh, playoff, play-in positioning, whatever it might uh, end up as. Uh, they win this game one twenty to one eighteen, uh, and they had a you know the the Cavs had a great game from Donovan Mitchell, but the Hawks overcome it, um, and they also overcome losing a pretty big lead. The Hawks led by as many as 15 points in the second quarter. Cavs brought it back and took a lead. Hawks took the lead again. Cavs brought it back, and there were 15 lead changes total. Uh, Very hectic game, very exciting game, but again, Atlanta still able to come out with the victory in this one. For Cleveland, Donovan Mitchell, 44 points, five rebounds, five assists, and two steals. Very great game. He's had kind of that resurgence of what we saw at the very beginning of the season as far as those high-scoring games leading the Cavs to victories. They also got 27 points from his backcourt mate, Darius Garland, uh, along with five assists. And they also got 20 points, 15 rebounds, six assists, four blocks, and a steal, filling out all parts of the stat sheet. Evan Mobley starting in place of 
uh, Jared Allen at center. Of course, Mobley usually starting at the uh, the four, the power forward. Um, and he missed both free throws. He got all 20 of his points on, you know, two point attempts, no threes um, with the rebounds, the blocks. Um, great all round game for him. However, of course, Atlanta still able to come out on top and they had uh, well spread scoring seven players in double figures on the scoring effort led by DeJounte Murray, 29 points in this game. Uh, Trey Young added 16 points and 10 assists of his own. Uh, Onyeko Kungu actually got 21 points off the bench in 20 minutes. Very impressive there. Sadiq Bey had 11 points, 10 rebounds. Uh, Clint Capella, 12 points, 10 rebounds. And then uh, 12 points as well for Bogdan Bogdanovich and John Collins. So um, some nice, you know, games from a few guys on the Cavs, but then the Hawks had, you know, what more well-balanced game and they were able to get that victory against the Cleveland Cavaliers. Next, the Toronto Raptors win a big game for them as they're trying to jostle for position among some of those Eastern conference teams at home against the Miami heat one Oh six to 92. Um, and the Raptors now at uh, 500, uh, 500 winning percentage. They're 38 wins, 38 losses on the season. Um, closed first half, but again, they took advantage in that second half. Uh, using that home court advantage, they were able to win the game here for Miami. They were led by Tyler Hero, 33 points in this game. Bam Adebayo added 21 points. 12 rebounds, and those were their only double-figure scores. Uh, Jimmy Butler did not play in this game. Uh, I assume uh, rest, load management, something of that, something to that effect. Uh, haven't heard any injury type of news, so um, hopefully I'm on the right track there. Meanwhile, for the Raptors, um, five players in double figures, three of those with 20 or more points leading scorer of those being Pascal Siakam. He had 26 points, nine rebounds, and five assists, 22 points each for OG Anunoby and Scotty Barnes. Barnes also had 12 assists, and Jakob Pertl had 10 rebounds on the game. They also got 12 off the bench uh, for Precious Achua alongside uh, Fred Van Vliet in the starting lineup also had 12 points. So, uh, you know, the Heat had some decent games from a couple of guys, and then you know, a lot of guys struggled compared to the Raptors really firing on all cylinders in this game. So great win for Toronto in this one. Next, the Memphis Grizzlies win at home against the Orlando Magic. That was something with the slate. Most home teams won uh, in these games from last night's action. And that was true for this Memphis winning uh, at home versus the Orlando Magic 113 to 108. Uh, John Morant sitting in this game uh, or is sitting out for this game again, I imagine you know, load management, something of that uh, nature, because again, we haven't really heard anything as far as an injury. Uh, fortunately, we haven't heard an injury, but, um, you know, we'll, we'll roll with that. Certainly update you if there's any, you know, updates to that situation. Um, you know, Memphis took a lead in the second quarter, third quarter. Uh, Orlando sort of tried to bring it back and they actually cut it down with, you know, less than five points in the final couple minutes. But, um, Memphis still able to uh, get the win. That's actually their seventh straight win. Surprisingly, they've racked up a few. Uh, they've got a win streak going in recent games and recent weeks uh, for the magic. They had some strong performances. Paolo Bencaro had 24 points, 11 rebounds and five assists. 
continuing to stand out in this, his rookie season, Franz Wagner, 25 points, uh, three rebounds, three assists and two steals, um, 14 points for Wendell Carter Jr., 11 for Markel Fultz. And then two guys off the bench had at least 10 points. Uh, Goga Bitadze had 13, and Cole Anthony had 10. However, for the Grizzlies, Desmond Bain really stepped up in John Morant's absence. 31 points for him, five assists, four rebounds, but he also had three steals, so getting it done on both ends of the floor. 20 points, nine rebounds for Xavier Tillman as well, starting at center in place of... um, the long injured Steven Adams, who were still kind of waiting for him to be able to make his return from injury. Um, 16 points, 10 rebounds and three blocks for Jaron Jackson jr. A uh, defensive player of the year, hopeful this season, uh, 16 points off the bench as well for Luke Kennard, the recently acquired sharpshooter and 13 points for Dylan Brooks in that starting lineup. As the Grizzlies get that victory there, they continue to solidify their position in the Western conference. Next, the uh, Charlotte Hornets continue to string together some nice wins within the last, you know, couple, you know, month or two of the season when it's already kind of, you know, too little too late. They've been eliminated from playoff contention. But, um, you know, P.J. Washington, Washington in particular had a really strong game to help propel them to the victory here. Um, back and forth game, especially through that first quarter. Thunder, uh, the Oklahoma City Thunder took a lead in the second and third quarters. Charlotte brought it back. Fierce comeback. They had a big lead mid fourth quarter. Then the Thunder kind of brought it back themselves. Um, and then Charlotte winning by a bit of a narrow margin. So a very exciting game to say the least for the Thunder. They were led by, they actually had a trio of 30 point scores. It's very rare that you see a team have three players score 30 or more points and lose a game like that. So this was certainly you know, an under the radar type of game, two teams that are not the most glamorous, exciting teams, you know, younger teams um, to have a game like this. Pretty, pretty uh, incredible. Isaiah Joe, actually, of all players, led the Thunder in scoring. They were without Shea Gilgis Alexander, but he had 33 points in this game. He's been a, a, a notable player for the Thunder. Of course, he was a two way contract um, last year or the season prior with Philadelphia. Um, really didn't see or hear much about him. He's had moments with the Thunder, and more and more we've seen him really show up in the stat sheet, and the Thunder have been getting wins, and so it kind of seems like he's doing it in both aspects, statistically and true impact. So that's great to see. He was 6 of 11 from three-point range, um, just about 55% from there in that game. So awesome to see that. You know, Awesome to see these guys that uh, maybe weren't highly drafted, highly touted coming out of um, you know college, international, um, now G League Ignite, whatever that situation is. Awesome to see those guys get an opportunity and really make the most of it. So uh, kudos to Isaiah Joe for that great game. But he also had uh, some support from Jalen Williams, that's L-E-N Williams, and Josh Giddy. 31 points for each of those. Giddy also had 10 rebounds and 9 assists, close to another triple-double. He's had quite a number of those in his young NBA career. He also got 16 points from Lou, Gwen, uh, Lou Dort, uh, Lou Gwen's Dort. Um, so they had four double figure scores and again, three of those 30 or more points. So it's remarkable that they still were not able to come out with a victory in this. Um, you look at the Hornets, they had seven players in double figures, which is part of that reason, but they also had uh, a 43 point score, PJ Washington, his new career high. Um, he was red hot in his shooting percentages, um, Six rebounds, five assists as well. So he contributed more than just his scoring. They also got 19 points from Theo Maladon getting the start at point guard. 
18 points for Svi Mikhailuk, uh, 14 each for Nick Richards and JT Thor. Richards also had 11 rebounds, uh, 12 points, 14 rebounds for Kai Jones, and 11 points for Bryce McGowan. So the Hornets, um, without a lot of their key players in this game, either resting them um, or they were perhaps injured. So kind of an interesting one to see so many of those guys that are playing limited minutes, especially a guy like Kai Jones, who I think has been playing not very minutes at all this season. Uh, not very many minutes this season at all. Uh, so he had an opportunity played very well in this game. So uh, yeah, props to the Hornets getting that win, but again, strong performances from the Thunder all round. And finally, this was, you know, again, as happens a lot of the time, even though they've struggled on the season, you know, the Warriors have one of those games where they kind of take over the um, the discourse surrounding the slate of games that day. The Golden State Warriors win at home against the New Orleans Pelicans. 120 to 109, uh, thanks to a huge second half effort. And um, they needed it because, I mean, New Orleans got out to a lead in that second quarter and they were up by as many as 20 points, um, leading by a little less than that going into halftime. And then the thun- the uh, excuse me, the Warriors, you know, rally back. And especially in that fourth quarter, they go off. They have one of those Warriors esque runs, one of those, you know, shades of championship years past that they you know are capable of and they have the players to do it. And so tough loss for the Pelicans, great win for the Warriors. For the Pelicans, they were led by Brandon Ingram. He continues to stand out in recent weeks. 26 points, 8 rebounds, and 7 assists. Um, perfect from 3 and the free throw line. He only shot 1-3, but still. Um, 21 points for Trey Murphy the third. He also got 2 blocks and a steal, and he was 4 of 6 from the 3-point line. Um, 15 points for CJ McCollum. 13 for Herb Jones and 11 for Jonas Valanciunas. Um, that rounds out their starting lineup. All of their starters were all of their double figure scorers as well. Um, and they had great shooting percentages from, especially from three in the free throw line. But the Warriors, when they get on those runs, it's really hard to stop them, especially when it's Steph Curry doing what he does best. Um, 39 points, eight rebounds, eight assists, three steals. He was eight of 15 from three point line above 50%. Um, only a few free throws actually missed a free throw in this game, but you know, I mean, over half his shots from three, he's making over half of those attempts and they get a red hot second half. It's, you know, tough to overcome that, especially in San Francisco in their home court environment with that crowd. Um, you know, the chase center, there were some concerns from the, uh, the warriors fans about leaving Oracle and, that building having such a reputation for generating noise being such a exciting place for fans. And of course, Chase Center, um, a much more modern and much more tech, you know, technologically advanced, um, clean, you know, brand new facility. But it seems like they've made themselves right at home. Of course, they've already won the title as they did last year. But um, it seems like the fans are really you know, continuing what they had at Oracle and Chase Center is, you know, if not on par, it's, you know, a half step or a step back pretty close to the type of type of tough home court atmosphere that uh, Oracle was. So kind of a long tangent. But anyways, uh, they also had 21 points from Jordan Poole off the bench, uh, as you would expect him to do their sixth man, uh, the way their roster is currently constituted. 17 points for Clay Thompson. He was five of 11 from three point range. So the splash brothers doing it again, even though they're getting a touch older, they're still potent when they are shooting. Well, 
13 points each for Dante DiVincenzo and Jonathan Kaminga, both of them starting in this game, and Draymond Green starting at center, uh, 8 points, 13 assists, 6 rebounds, and 2 steals. So doing one of his Draymond-esque uh, type of games, distributing um, and filling in the gaps where they're needed. So uh, great all-round win for the Warriors, and again, that really helps them in the playoff positioning. And that takes care of our uh, game summaries from last night's action. Again, six games total. Um, so that, you know, segues us now into Wednesday's game. Of course, again, we're talking a little bit earlier on Wednesday. We haven't had the start of any of our Wednesday games. So this will be, you know, we'll have totally fresh perspectives tomorrow when we talk about those games. Um, with that, let's go ahead and talk about our key news. Um, with it being so early in the day compared to when we usually do the show. Um, and in comparison or in conjunction with um, yesterday's show, as far as the news from that show, uh, we don't have a ton of updates for you. We do have um, an update based on last night's games. Um, so the Milwaukee Bucks did officially um, clinch the central division. Uh, I believe it was the fact that the Cavaliers lost to the Hawks. That's probably what allowed the Bucks to clinch the division. Um, so the Bucks are Central Division champions. They're the first to clinch a uh, Eastern Conference division. So congratulations to them. Um, that, of course, no longer has bearing on um, playoff seating. It, you know, as recent as about 10 years ago, uh, 10 seasons ago, that did have bearing. But again, no longer. But it's still something worth acknowledging. And again, it's it's an awarded thing now. You know, each division has their own uh division championship trophy. So um, cool for them to be, you know, uh, able to do that. I believe that's their fifth straight season winning the central division. So congratulations again to them. Um, Outside of that, we have a few transactions that actually we could have updated you on yesterday, but I simply uh, failed to check those transactions. So uh, firstly, the Brooklyn Nets have re-signed center Moses Brown to a second 10-day contract. So congratulations to him getting a little bit more of an extended opportunity with the Nets. Uh, The Utah Jazz uh, have signed forward Luka Semanik. Um, I thought briefly about saying, oh, the Jazz signed Luka just to be, you know, clickbaity and be you know, a little bit funny about it. But yeah, Lucas Semanic, who was drafted uh, a few seasons ago by the Spurs, um, has kind of fallen out of the NBA, of course, and has been uh, with a few different G League teams, I believe. Um, I think he's been with the main Red Claws most recently. Um, but he's getting an opportunity to play a little bit more NBA minutes, maybe show some some growth if he's had that opportunity to do so in the G League. So congratulations to him, Lucas Semanic. He's a uh, 6'10 forward, so I'm interested to see what he's able to do with the Jazz, of course, myself being a, a Jazz fan. And then finally, the Charlotte Hornets have signed uh, forward Xavier Sneed, who actually played for the Jazz a bit himself. Uh, he's signed to a 10-day contract as well. Um, Semantic also a 10-day contract. Um, so again, a few guys, 10-day contracts, getting an opportunity here in the last few weeks of the season to um, at least show maybe some teams for next season what they're able to do um, in the hopes of maybe getting a little bit of a longer term opportunity. So um, good to see that for those guys. Um, again, outside of that, we really don't have much else to talk about with the news. So let's jump into our main um, point here, our playoff picture discussion. And um, we'll go about this in a little bit different way. Uh, I think what we're going to do with the Eastern Conference, again, I already kind of made um, my own personal weekly prediction one of these recent weeks. Actually, I think it was last week even. 
um, where I said the Eastern Conference playoff picture is pretty darn close to kind of what we can expect it to be. There is still that chance that a team like Washington can go on a run and Chicago can maybe slip and those two could swap spots, Washington taking over that final spot in the play-in tournament. That is still possible. Um, but when you compare the Eastern Conference picture to the Western Conference picture, it's a world of difference as far as um, the volatility of either of those positions, you know, especially the play-in tournament. And so, um, again, East, there's some intrigue, you know, as far as um, Miami and Brooklyn being, you know, a half game separated, who's going to clinch that sixth seed and avoid the play-in tournament. You know, there's some intrigue there. There's questions about, you know, Philadelphia and Cleveland being very close record-wise as well. Who's going to be that three seed? Can Cleveland make a push? Will Philadelphia hold them off? There's there's some questions there, but I think for the time being, you know, we can pretty closely guess which teams are actually going to make the playoffs as a whole. And that's really our playoff picture discussion at the moment. That's really what it centers around. And in the Eastern Conference, we can kind of picture that. In the West, we have a lot more question marks. And so that's why we're going to focus on them today. And of course, your top three in the West is pretty well set. You know, most, if not all teams in the NBA have between five and seven games left in the season. That's it. You know, just just a little more than a handful of games. And so when a team like the Kings has a five game lead over the fourth place Suns, to me, that says, OK, your top three in the West, Denver, Memphis and Sacramento, those three are pretty well set as far as not just playoffs, but also those positions. And Sacramento, again, we talked about it briefly um, on last uh, last night's show, yesterday's show, that they should be clinching the playoffs within the next couple of days officially. So then that leaves the Suns as part of our bigger Western Conference playoff discussion. Um, Portland is still technically in it as well, but there are three full games behind Utah. And Utah who's 12th is only five games behind fourth place Phoenix. So, you know, even Utah is still a game and a half behind Dallas. So um, I might even be stretching it a touch to still include Utah in the mix. They've kind of fallen behind some of these other teams. Dallas is only three and a half games behind Phoenix and that's four through 11, those, those spots. And so, We'll include Utah. I we unfortunately won't include Portland because I think that they are maybe just a bit too far out of the reach. You know, it might just be within the next few days that they might be officially eliminated from playoff contention entirely. Um, but there is still that chance, so we shouldn't discount that. But what I've done is I've pulled up the remaining schedule for um the rest of these teams. That's our nine teams total. And We'll gloss through, peruse through these schedules very briefly. We're not going to go in-depth on every single one because that would make this a much longer um, playoff picture discussion than it really needs to be. But we'll look through, see what stands out as far as teams having um, advantages, disadvantages in upcoming schedule. Uh, One thing I'll comment on right away, the Warriors have the least amount of games left of any of these teams. Um, All of these teams have either six or seven games left, except for the Warriors. They only have five. Um, And two of those five are at home, so they don't have a huge home court advantage there. Um, The teams they're playing is a mix. You know, they've got San Antonio, uh, Oklahoma City, and Portland. San Antonio and Portland, you would think that those should be games that they should be able to win. But again, 
this is a league of all professional teams. Any team is capable of winning. Um, but of course there are teams that are better than others, but still, you know, San Antonio and Portland, you think those are teams they should probably beat Oklahoma city's close. That's one of their contenders in this play in mix. And then Denver and Sacramento are two of your best teams in the West. So you have kind of a mixed bag there. Um, again, golden state, they've pushed themselves back into that sixth seed ahead of Minnesota. So, uh, just a half game ahead because they have one more win, same amount of losses. Uh, if Golden State has a very strong last few games, you know, it's been kind of the re- the recurring dialogue throughout the whole season. If they can just do this, if they can just do this, you know, we continue saying that. Now we're down to, you know, maybe the minimum or close to the minimum requirement, you know, just win out, you know, the next few games then you can really secure that spot and maybe even have a chance to jump up to five or to four. You know, if the Warriors jump up to four, if they get Andrew Wiggins back and they go into the playoffs with that type of situation, despite all their struggles with their championship history, you kind of have to throw your hands up in the air and say, well, there's there's a chance. There's an outside chance. And so, you know, this last few games, I think it could determine a lot for the Warriors because, again, this race is so close. Minnesota, New Orleans are right there in the neighborhood of Golden State. But Golden State is also in the neighborhood of the Clippers and Phoenix. So if the Warriors have, you know, a winning record over the next five games, they'll stay, you know, probably six seed upward. If they struggle in these last five, then they could they could plummet and they could find themselves in the play in tournament. So that's there's a lot of intrigue with Golden State in particular being right on that threshold and, you know, having these limited games along with their struggles this season. I think that's a really intriguing schedule. You know, we're, I think as a whole, we'll really want to pay attention to what the warriors are able to do in these last few games. When you talk about those teams above um, the warriors being the Clippers and the Suns, uh, briefly looking at the Clippers, they've got uh, two games away in Memphis. That could be really tough especially without Paul George, Memphis getting John Morant back. Clippers lose both those games. And again, if Warriors make a run, Clippers could be falling. Then they face the Pelicans, the Lakers, the Trailblazers, and the Suns. All of these games are Western Conference games. And four, their last four, all against teams that are play-in, playoff hopefuls. Portland, by April 8th, could very well be eliminated. But still, three of those four are going to be highly contested games. And these are make-or-break kind of games. You have a Kawhi Leonard who, of course, has proven in this situation. I I think that you know he could rise to the task. He could do what he needs to to, in a regular season sense, elevate that team to a victory in some of those key games. So the Clippers could turn out all right. They could kind of just stay where they're at. But that schedule in particular is very interesting how many of those teams they're facing. They have a lot of, you know, direct competition with the rest of this play-in, playoff tournament, you know, uh, play-in tournament and playoff hopeful type crowd. Looking at the Suns, they have seven games left. They have a little bit of longer road. And again, all of their games, Western Conference games, Minnesota, Denver, Oklahoma City, Spurs, Denver again, Lakers, Clippers. They finish... um in Los Angeles against the Lakers and then come home their final game at home versus the Clippers. Um, The good news for them, five of their last seven games are 
at home. So that's a big advantage for Phoenix. And if they're getting Durant back tonight versus the Timberwolves, Suns have a really good chance to be able to lock in that fourth seed. Um, so that's probably, you know, they're pretty good where they're at, especially getting Kevin Durant back. So Golden State is probably really looking to be moving up to that fifth seed as far as an ultra best case scenario. And the Clippers are in a precarious position with their schedule coming up. So, so that's your, you know, four five and six seed. Let's talk about those teams in the play in tournament mix, those seven through 10, starting with seven, the Timberwolves, they have six games left. Five of them, five of those six are Western conference teams, half their games at home. And their last of those six games is at home. So, Pretty similar mixed bag. However, um, they have uh, Portland, the Spurs, and the Pelicans, who are just maybe slightly underperforming compared to the Timberwolves. You know, overall record, the Trailblazers and the, the Spurs and the Pelicans, Spurs certainly, but Blazers and Pelicans just a bit off from the Timberwolves. So you should think that they'd be a little bit favored. Lakers as well, although that's a lot closer. Suns are ahead of them. And Brooklyn is probably pretty close too. So Minnesota's in a good situation to either keep their spot or maybe move up. Um, so that's their schedule. Let's look at the Pelicans. Six games left. Uh, they have uh, a game in, in Denver. Then they have four straight games at home. They've got a favorable position themselves. Uh, at home versus the Clippers, the Kings, the Grizzlies, and the Knicks. All four of those teams, though, are very potent teams. And um, I don't know it right off the bat. We can actually we can look that up right now. The Pelicans record at home. I'm curious about that. Um, favorable, 24 wins, 13 losses, as you'd expect. Of course, they struggle more on the road. So you've got your games at home, typically, and they fit this typical mold. Um, that's a good chance for them to at least go even over these games and keep hold of that play-in eighth seed. Let's talk Lakers next. Of course, they've been the eye of attention for a lot of people. They've got a pretty favorable schedule in some ways, although their last two games at home um, are their technical last two home games of the season. They've got an upcoming five-game road trip. The last of those that the last game of that road trip being a road game in Los Angeles against the Clippers. So sort of a home game. It's kind of that Fugazi road game, if you will, but their next uh, few games, this road trip, they've got Chicago, Minnesota, Houston, the jazz and the Clippers. Then they're at home versus the Suns and the jazz. Again, the jazz and the Lakers, uh, the last game for either of those teams, Chicago, that should be a favorable matchup for the Lakers, in my opinion, even though they lost to the Bulls last time out. LeBron might, you know, he probably doesn't care that much, but maybe, especially with their desire to make this push for the play-in, um, might have that desire to go back at Patrick Beverly for that performance they had in the last game, his little, you know, too small taunt or whatever. You have that intrigue. You have Houston who's been one of the lower performing teams in the NBA this season. You have the jazz twice. And again, as much as it pains me to say it, the jazz have underperformed lately 
and they've been without some of their without some of their key players. Uh, they've struggled at times. They've struggled to close games at times. So Lakers have a good chance to finish out strong, especially with LeBron back and playing and motivated to set this team up well for the the postseason as a whole. Those are your um, actually no sorry the Thunder is your tenth team. They're that team just on the on the brink of either making the play in or um, being at home during the postseason. The Thunder schedule is their next game is in Detroit against the Pistons. That's tonight. Uh, that's actually at home. Sorry, in Oklahoma City against the Pistons. Then Indianapolis, Phoenix, Golden State, Utah, Memphis. So that's again pretty pretty mixed. You know, Golden State and Memphis would be in Phoenix. Those are all going to be pretty tough games. You know, pretty competitive Western Conference teams and teams that have been performing better than the Thunder. Then you have Detroit and Indiana. Those are teams that you should think the Thunder should beat, and then the Jazz as well. I I would kind of think the Thunder should beat the Jazz at this point too. So. Um, kind of half and half. Maybe they split those games. And so then it really comes down to our last two teams. This is, you know, the real question. The Jazz and the Mavericks. Are these teams, especially the Mavericks, are they going to be able to have enough and have a schedule to work with to be able to make a push um, in these last few games? Uh, let's talk Jazz first because, I, again, I'm a Jazz fan, but I think I would kind of, you know, eliminate them at this point. They have seven games left. They're going on a three-game road trip uh, to start that off. They're in San Antonio, then Boston, then Brooklyn. Um, you know, I think they can they can beat the Spurs. They can probably lose to the Celtics. And um, Brooklyn, it would be close. can see it going either way. Then they're at home for three straight, the Lakers, the Thunder, and the Nuggets. Um, I think they would lose to the Lakers in that situation and the Nuggets. Um, probably they have a chance against the Thunder. And then in... LA against Lakers, they probably lose that. You know, I think there's a world where they split that schedule. You know, they go three, four, four, three. Um, I really don't see them going, uh, you know, five, two, six, one, whatever that is, to have a you know real uptick and suddenly be vying for a play-in spot. You know, it kind of pains me to say it because I thought that'd be a cool story for them to make the play-in tournament, uh, subvert people's expectations a little bit. But you know. Uh, they had a good early run and they've shown some signs for the future. And so I just don't think they have enough and I don't think the schedule is really there for them to be able to make the push this season. So we'll, we'll kind of count them out right now as far as what I'm thinking, what I'm seeing. Um, and again, you can take this with a grain of salt. So that leaves the Mavericks. Do they have enough? Is their schedule going to be able to make that work as far as the late season push? Well, they have a, they have the last three games of a five game road trip. Um, as you know, the first half of their remaining six games, uh, they're in Philadelphia, then they go to Miami and then they are in Atlanta. Um, not a huge travel schedule there. Um, although Miami and Atlanta are back to backs. So that's something to consider there, but, uh, Philadelphia, that would be, that's going to be a, a tough one. You know, if Embiid is back, Harden's back and you have to beat them, that could put the Mavericks in a really precarious position. But then Miami and Atlanta, both of those teams uh, are pretty close to the Mavericks as far as, you know, record and competitive level this season. Um, Mavericks had a good chance of being able to win those games, even though those are road games. That'll be tough. So then 
they get home with three games remaining. They have Sacramento, Chicago, and the Spurs. Chicago and San Antonio, Mavericks should be able to win those games, you know. So it's really all about that stretch, their upcoming stretch. And so if we're talking about playoff picture right now and what you want to pay attention to back of your mind as you're watching the games, keeping updated on what's going on in the NBA this week, I would pay attention to what the Warriors are able to do and what the Mavericks are able to what they're able to do um, over these next few games. If the Mavericks, uh, I mean, they won their last game against the Pacers. If the Mavericks lose their next couple, they could be in very serious danger of missing the play in tournament entirely because we kind of talked it out. We kind of looked through Thunder, Lakers, Pelicans have some decent schedules to work with. Um, Minnesota and Golden State, there's some intrigue there. But those would still be teams that make the play-in or the postseason no matter what. So Golden State, see if they can make a run for a higher seed. And Dallas, can they string the wins together and prevent themselves from being pushed out of this picture? And, you know, the same can hold true for the Thunder. If the Dallas Mavericks go on a run and the Thunder lose a couple games, then maybe they start to be at risk. And so it goes both ways. You know, those teams are currently tied record-wise. Lakers ahead by only a game or only half a game. So this is just talking out loud. And again, it still just goes to show you how crazy this playoff chase is. One of the craziest playoff chases I can remember um, in my admittedly not ultra long, but, you know, uh, about 10 years, maybe a little bit more um, memory um, paying attention to, you know, watching out for the playoffs, the chase, you know, seeing what teams are going to be able to make it. And so it's very exciting. And again, it makes this last week and a half all the more engaging to see what these teams are able to do, what players do to elevate their teams um, to give them the best chance to win. And so those would be my things. And those are the things I'm looking for. Um, If the Warriors can make that push to elevate themselves and Mavericks Thunder, that fringe of the play-in tournament. Um, because looking at the schedules, that's kind of where I think the true intrigue lies. There's intrigue all across the board, but I think those are the the most volatile uh, volatile positions as far as you know. There's a broader spectrum of Warriors could do really well and jump really high, or they could fall, and the Mavericks are either sitting pretty in a play-in or they're wondering what does their future look like as a team that made a huge trade at the trade deadline for Kyrie Irving on an expiring contract and then didn't even make the play-in tournament. You know, it could be a very interesting situation. So that's what I would watch out for. And um, on the whole, I suppose that really takes care of our playoff picture discussion. Um, Before we wrap things up, of course, we'll also do our weekly prediction. Um, again, I'll confer with Justin um, about him potentially doing a prediction this season, this uh, this week as well. But for my weekly prediction, this will be kind of the wrap up for my um, play in and playoff picture discussion, if you will. My week, weekly prediction for this week is that not one, but two play in spots will be up for grabs during the final weekend of the regular season. When I first thought of this prediction, I thought I would go as far as to say the final day of the regular season. thought that might be a little bit too narrow a gap 
um, you know, not enough margin for error in that one. So my prediction, yeah, the last weekend, you know, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, those last three days of the NBA regular season um, going into that weekend, there will be two play in spots that are undecided across the league. So that's my prediction. Depending on who you ask, that's either a very tame prediction or that's a pretty wild prediction. Um, I'm kind of somewhere in the middle. I'm not sure if I'm ultra confident in that, but I feel like it's fairly feasible. So that's my prediction for this week. And uh, that's most of the show for us. Let's go and wrap things up with our This Day in History fact for you. We're going back quite a ways to 1960, some of the early days of the NBA. Uh, March 29th of 1960, Boston Celtics standout Bill Russell hauled down an NBA Finals record 40 rebounds. Let me repeat that. That's Bill Russell himself, just him, pulled down 40 rebounds in an NBA Finals game. As the Celtics lost to the St. Louis Hawks 113-103, to on April 18th of 1962, uh, so just a couple years later, Russell matched his 40 rebound effort in a game seven overtime win against the Los Angeles Lakers that gave Boston the 1962 NBA championship. So that's more of a footnote. He did it multiple times, 40 rebounds in a game. And, you know, I don't care how much people tend to discount those early days of the NBA, especially pre, you know, mid sixties, early to mid sixties, you know, when Jerry West and Oscar Robertson kind of joined the league, that's when the NBA really started to shift more towards uh, what we'd consider more of a modern NBA, you know, even though it still wasn't um, Dr. J even let alone Larry Bird or Magic Johnson. But I think you compare um, the wealth of talent mid sixties to early sixties, it's a pretty big difference, but despite what people might say about Bill Russell and Wilt Chamberlain playing against, they feel, you know, uh, sub level talent, you know, guys that would not compare at all to modern NBA players. I don't care, you know, if you're playing against college players in that era to grab 40 rebounds in a game and to do that multiple times, especially with Bill Russell not being an ultra huge guy. Um, phenomenal. You know, and again, we can't really overstate how important and impressive Bill Russell was, not just as a player. Um, of course, he was a pioneer as a player. His defensive ability, being a star as a defender, winning titles, winning more titles than anyone in NBA history, but off the court, you know, and of course he's had his number retired league-wide because he wasn't just a great all-time great player. He was a great um, a leader for the league, an ambassador for the game, for uh, you know people of color. He was uh, just a great individual all around. And so anytime we can respect Bill Russell's legacy as a player, as uh, you know, uh, an activist, whatever it is, uh, we should, we should certainly do that. And so we have the chance to do that here. And again, you know, they're playing against the Hawks. That is a team with uh, Bob Pettit um, and Ed McCauley. I believe he was still on the team at that time. You know, they've got a front court that's stout. 
Bob Pettit averaged, you know, 15, 16 rebounds easily, uh, even upwards of, I think, 20 rebounds uh, for a season, you know, multiple times. He was uh, a very incredible, impressive rebounder, close to Bill Russell's size. And Russell's grabbing 40 rebounds and he did it multiple times. The other time was against the Lakers and they didn't have as good of a front line, but they still had Elgin Baylor who was grabbing same kind of rebounding numbers per game. So I could go on, but again, huge credit to Bill Russell and what he was able to do. Um, And, you know, he's one of the all-time greats. It's, you can't dispute that. So uh, with that, that takes care of our uh, show for you today. Thank you again for listening. If you want to check out our Instagram page, that's crossover across time all one word on Instagram. We share content from the show along with doing our best to share content from across the NBA. So that is a great place along with the podcast itself to stay up to date on what's happening in the NBA with a touch of that historical perspective for tomorrow's show. Again, we potentially could have just on the, on the show, depending on uh, either of our schedules and our plans for that day. Um, But for tomorrow's show, we'll do our normal uh, game summaries and key news from, you know, last night's games, the last day of NBA news and action before we do our latest franchise focus uh, in which we'll be focusing on the Phoenix Suns. Uh, So that'll be a very exciting one. Uh, So stay tuned for that. Again, we thank you for listening and we'll be back with you on tomorrow's show. 